Before I go into the introduction, there are three broad set of mysteries in the Bible. If you read in the Gospels, there are the parables. There are mysteries to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the elders of Israel. And Jesus used the parables to convey underlying principles and truths. There's a mystery that was revealed to the Apostle John in Revelation, and that's called Mystery Babylon. There's even a mystery that deacons in 1 Timothy 3 are told to know and be aware. It's called the mystery of faith. I will not go into all that. For the next three weekends, I'm just going to focus on the seven mysteries revealed to the Apostle Paul and to the church. And to the church, because all these are very plain teachings from Scripture which we are very, very familiar with. Just that we, it does not come to us initially as mysteries. And the church is very familiar with all these truths which are packaged together in these three weekends, but it is a mystery to the Jews. It's a mystery to the Pharisees and the Sadducees who do not have the revelation, those who do not have the revelation of the Holy Spirit. By way of introduction, I just want to emphasize that all Scripture is profitable. All Scripture is inspired by God. So you can take a portion of Scripture, there are three levels always to interpret Scripture. One, it is always literal. Two, it is always prophetic. And three, we can find a spiritual application. For example, Jeremiah 29, 11. It was literal. God says, I plans for you. God was talking to Israel when they were under the captivity of the Babylonians. God was prophesying to them that He has a plan for them to give them a future and a hope. It was literal. Then it was prophetic. They came out of Babylon and prophetic as we look back in 1948. God is giving them a future and a hope. But if you are doing your quiet time, <clears throat> if you are reading the Scriptures and you are at a crossroads of your life, whether to switch jobs, whether to do a certain assignment, and then the verse pops out at you. God says, I have a plan for you to give you a future and a hope. And similarly for our three new elders, all right, you are embarking on a new season of your life in this high office of an elder. <clears throat> a future and a hope in a different sense in your new season. So we can apply it literally, prophetically, and spiritually. All Scripture is profitable. But having said that, it is very important for us to always study the Word. And one of the things we need to do, apart from being approved to God, is to correctly divide the Word of God. And you have learned, when I did the eight-part series at the start of this year, on the time of the end, that God, God today, there are three categories of people that God deals with. The original mankind, which is subsequently be called Gentiles, is one category. And then there's a category of Israel, and then the last category of the church. All right, we know that from 1 Corinthians 10, 32 of these three categories. Now, what behooves and uh, prompted me about doing this series is this scripture. In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1 and 2, it says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ, as stewards of the mysteries of God. What is a steward? A steward is a manager. And in this case, this applies to every believer, every disciple. We are managers of these mysteries which God has entrusted to us. It is required in stewards that we be found faithful. Faithful to know, to understand, and to teach it to others. Mysteries because previously they were unrevealed. Previously they were unknown. But today, 
it is now revealed and proclaimed. Colossians 1.26 reminds us this mystery which, which was hidden in ages and from generations. Even Peter, the Apostle Peter in the early church could not fully grasp this. <clears throat> he said of Paul in the last chapter of 2 Peter 3, that Paul spoke of things he could not easily understood. Paul spent initially three years and then 14 years to grasp all these things. But to us, now it has been revealed to the saints. Today, we are the church almost at the end of the 2,000 years. We are longing for the blessed hope, the rapture of the church. And to us, all these teachings, which I'm going to go through with you, you'll be surprisingly surprised it is so plain and obvious to the church. But it is not so. Not so to the Jews. Not so, not so to the early church. Alright? So, let's go on. These are the seven mysteries revealed to the Apostle Paul and the church. Today, we're going to talk about God's dealings with Israel being suspended and how God created this new body called the church. And I submit to you that this was revealed to the Apostle Paul, which I'll mention in a while from Galatians, and in particular in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul described that he was caught to the third heavens, and there God revealed to him a lot of revelation. And I submit to you, it is through these several encounters that Paul had with the Lord that all these mysteries were so plainly revealed to him, and to us, it is like so common sense, so plain teaching, all right? So firstly, God's dealings with Israel suspended. The, the scripture for this is Romans eleven twenty five. 25. Paul says, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. Unfortunately, you look at church history, the church has been too proud. Prior to the 20th century, the church thought that they were spiritual Israel. The church in the 19th century, 18th century, thought that they replaced Israel, that God has totally rejected them. Not true. In the 20th century, we saw the state of Israel being reborn. That lest you should be wise in your own eyes, the church can never replace Israel because God's covenant with Israel will be fulfilled. Their blindness in part, which is partial and temporary. Partial because not every Jew is spiritually blinded. Today, we have Jews that are believers. You know some of them very well. Michael Brown, a Messianic Jew. Amir Safati, Joel Rosenberg, all right, prominent uh, Christian uh, Messianic Jews today. Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. <clears throat> Pay attention to this word, fullness, meaning there will be a Gentile believer that will be the last to be born again and included in the church, and then the rapture will happen. This is one of the triggers for the rapture, amongst other things. The fullness of the Gentiles is to be distinguished from the times of the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles refer to Israel recovering Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a hotbed. The Bible says you'll be trampled by the Gentiles. But Israel, the Jews, will recover it. And which is why this Abrahamic Accord, when President Trump was president, he recognized Jerusalem and moved the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. This is very significant. God willing, sometime next year, I'm going to talk about events today and events to come culminating in the rapture, the post-rapture, the trigger of the tribulation, we are living in very exciting times. But big picture, mankind, subsequently called Gentiles, 
God created them to have fellowship with them. As we read in the account in Genesis 1-6, to God saw that every intent of man was evil and wickedness. And then the great flood came. And God says, I will call out for myself a people. In Genesis 12, He called out Abraham. And through Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, God covenanted and said, you will be my special people. But big picture, God's salvation is always for all who will recognize Him as God. I'll talk about that in a moment. So for example, even when God had a covenant with Israel, the believing Gentiles are also included in the salvation. For example, in Exodus 12, 38, when Israel left Egypt, it was recorded that a mixed multitude of Gentiles, Egyptians, joined Israel in the journey across the Red Sea into the Promised Land. When Joshua led Israel towards to conquer Jericho, before he conquered Jericho, all right, he sent the spies and they came to a home of a lady called Rahab, who was a prostitute. She was equally safe and she believed in the God of Israel. Then Israel fell. Through the few thousand years, God sent the prophets, God sent His people, the priests, and revealed Himself to them. They continuously rebelled against God. You look at the book of Judges as an example. They will repent and then after a while, they will neglect God. Everybody does what is right in their own eyes. Israel fell. And God called the church, which I'll describe in a moment. And the church today includes all Gentiles and all Jews who will believe in Jesus as the Saviour and as the Lord, all mankind. God promised to save Israel. God has promised to save Israel. The same mercy that God extended to the mankind initially, the Gentiles, who were disobedient to God at one time, will finally overtake Israel. And God calls this a mystery. And this will lead to Israel's restoration, albeit through the tribulation. Terrible times. But by then, we will be raptured. And then after the Jesus' second coming, the 1,000 years of millennial rule, where Jesus will reign on earth as the King of kings and as the Lord of lords. <clears throat> so, in terms of the chart, the timeline, you find that there is the Old Testament. The last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. After that, there's 400 years of silence. Then appeared John the Baptist on the scene. And then the ministry of Jesus. And then the crucifixion, death and resurrection of Jesus, the early church. The preaching of Peter in Acts 2, 3 and 4. All right, then the preaching by Stephen. Somewhere there, God's dealings with Israel was suspended. And then Paul, who was Saul, appeared and God called him. God specially called him and revealed to him the gospel of grace. The ministry of John the Baptist. Pay attention to every word that is described in the gospels. Here we're told that John came preaching, <clears throat> saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God ultimately is the same. But in another sense, the kingdom of heaven is particularly for the Jews, Israel, and the kingdom of God for the church. All right? There are distinct differences. Ultimately, the same. Just as the Son of God and the Son of Man is the same, the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Son of Man is used particularly for Israel, while the term the Son of God is used particularly for the church. Here was John's baptism. He says, repent, be baptized, and the people confess their sins. And salvation for the Jews is that they must have faith and works of faith. 
We have it here in verse 8 of Matthew 3, where John the Baptist says, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And if you recall, all right, he says, Lord, what should, what should we do? Uh, if somebody has two tunics and somebody has need of one, Jesus says, you keep one, you give the tunic to the other. And if the Roman centurion, they have uh, uh, extorted money from some people, he says, no, you give it back. They have to produce fruits worthy of repentance. When Jesus came on the scene, on the scene, Jesus was preaching this gospel of the kingdom of heaven. What is it? It is premised on God's covenant to Israel in the Abrahamic, Mosaic, and Davidic covenants. Very clearly, we know this from Romans chapter 9, verse 4. Who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons, the glory, the special covenants with Abraham, Moses, and David. And in the Amplified Version, they spell out these three patriarchs. The giving of the law, the system of temple worship, and the original promises. So God gave Israel literal, physical, earthly signs to lead them to their physical, earthly land. For example, you look at Psalms 105, verse 8 to 11. God's promise to give Israel the land is an everlasting promise. God must fulfill that promise because it is a covenant with Israel. And with, to the promised Messiah, which the Jews are looking for, but they did not recognize Jesus as Yeshua HaMashiach, as the Messiah. To the earthly throne in Jerusalem, when Jesus will reign on earth for 1,000 years. This is the gospel given to the nation of Israel. The ministry of the Lord Jesus, when He first came, it was still in the old covenant stage. Here in Matthew 10, verse 5 to 8, Jesus told the disciples, do not go into the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter into the city of the Samaritans. The Samaritans was a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. But verse 6 of Matthew 10, go rather to the lordship of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here before Pentecost, Jesus gives authority, spiritual authority and power to His disciples. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely you give. BBDC, we learn this. And thank God, we are living in the church age with the Holy Spirit to give us power as well. But based on authority, delicate authority, we have command over demons and over sickness. But Israel remained blind. In Luke 19, 41 to 44, we've covered this in the earlier series. Israel was held accountable for not receiving the Messiah. Jesus said, but now they are hidden from your eyes. There was a gradual blindness that came upon them until this whole blindness that what the, Paul called this mystery. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now, who represents Israel? The elders, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. God always holds the elders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the council on behalf of the nation responsible. Because they are the ones who taught the masses, the Torah, and all the scriptures that God has given to them in the Old Testament. In Matthew 16, verse 1 to 3, Israel again was held accountable for failing to discern the signs. <clears throat> there are so many scriptures in the Old Testament that prophesied of the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And here was Jesus the Messiah standing in their very midst and they failed to recognize Him. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came again and again. We read Matthew 16 and asked Him to show them a sign. 
And Jesus said, you cannot even discern the signs of the times. Here they were copying the Torah from scroll to scroll, dotting every I, crossing every T, but they missed the sign of the presence of the Messiah. In Acts chapter 1, verse 6, after Jesus resurrected, after spending 40 days after His resurrection, the disciples in their Hebraic Judaistic mindset, they asked Jesus, the resurrected, who was resurrected, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Had they recognized the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the, elder, the elders, and the Sadducees by in the early church after Pentecost, have they recognized him as the perfect Lamb of God slain for their sins? It would have triggered the 1,000 millennial years of Jesus' reign on earth. The church would not have existed, but they did not. The ministry of Apostle Peter in the early church. Now, this is a distinct shift. You pay attention to the words, Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized now in the name of Jesus Christ. Early on, John the Baptist's baptism is repent for the remission of your sins and produce fruits worthy of your repentance. It is faith plus works of faith. But now there is a shift in Peter's preaching. Repent what? In the name of Jesus Christ. Then two things will happen. Your sins will be forgiven, remitted, blotted out, atoned for, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We see this shift in Acts 19 in the ministry of the Apostle Paul in the early church. Paul asked the people there, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They replied to him, we have not even heard about the Holy Spirit. Then Paul asked them the question, verse 3, into what then were you baptized? They replied, into John's baptism. Verse 4, Paul said, John indeed baptized you with a baptism of repentance. But you forgot. Paul said, you forgot. Paul, John also said that they should believe on him who will, be, who will come after John. That is, on Christ Jesus. And when they were heard this, then they understood that Jesus was the Lamb of God. Not the, the blood of goats and bulls, but the Lamb of God. The blood of the Lamb of God. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the Lamb of God. Verse, six, uh, verse 5, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And that's what we do in our baptism service. We baptize them according to Matthew 28 in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and specifically in the name of the Lord Jesus, meaning our trust is in the blood atonement of Jesus Christ. Verse 6, and when they have laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. The dispensation changed from John's baptism to the baptism in Jesus Christ. Finally, the ministry of Stephen in the early church. In Acts chapters, end of chapter 6 into the whole chapter of chapter 7, Stephen traced the covenant of God with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, showing them the pattern of God's salvation for them. And yet, by now, they have the Holy Spirit who will convict them. The Holy Spirit convicted them to sin, to righteousness and to judgment. And what was the conclusion? Stephen said in Acts chapter 7, verse 51, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always receive the Holy Spirit as your fathers, so do you. And from that point onwards, I submit to you, the blindness came over the nation of Israel. And I said earlier on, the blindness is partial and the blindness is temporary. But this blindness is a mystery. 
And from then on, what happens? God called the Apostle Paul, which I'll describe in a moment. Romans 11, 25, this mystery, the blindness in part, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So you see, <clears throat> this same diagram, the Old Testament, the 400 years of silence, the ministry of John the Baptist, of Jesus, the early church, the Judaism crept into the early part of the early church, Christianity. And thereof, thereafter, the preaching of Stephen, that began the church age, the gospel of grace preached by the Apostle Paul. A review, backtrack, all right? God's dealings with Israel is 70 weeks of years. 70 weeks of years. 70 times 7, which is 490 years. 7 weeks plus 62 weeks have already passed. There's one week that is left unfulfilled. And according to a lot of biblical scholars, as we have covered this in the time of the end series, that one week will be the seven tribulation years for Israel, primarily for Israel and the unbelieving world. So God's dealings with Israel was suspended, left with the last one week of the 70 weeks of God's dealings with Israel. And what happened in between? There was this time gap. The church was inserted. And the time period for the church is 2,000 years or two days in God's calendar. And now we're living at the end, towards the very, very end of these 2,000 years. Matthew 21, 43, Jesus says, the kingdom of God will be taken from you, Israel, and given to a nation, a people group called the church, bearing the fruits of it. The church is a created group of people, distinct from the group of people called Israel, distinct from the people group of the rest of mankind called the Gentiles. So, why? Why was God's dealings with Israel suspended? Because they earlier rejected John the Baptist sent by the Father. They then rejected and crucified the Lord Jesus. And three days later, Jesus fulfilled the sign of Jonah to prove His authenticity as the Son of God. Jesus was around for 40 days to give Israel the opportunity and the window to recognize and to receive Him as the Messiah, which they did not. <clears throat> then the Lord Jesus ascended to heaven, fulfilling Hosea 5.15. He says, Then I will go back to my place until Israel admit their guilt, and they will seek my face and in their misery. Why misery? The seven years of tribulation. They will earnestly seek me. And then, only then, will all Israel be saved. Just now we mentioned about Stephen. <clears throat> he preached and addressed the Jewish council in Acts chapter 6 and 7, Israel rejected Stephen's message. And this was the last straw. The kingdom of God began with Israel and because of their rejection of the revelation of God, the kingdom of God is taken from them and given to this new people's group called the church. This new people's group called the church, which Peter described in 1 Peter 2.9. You are a special people. Previously, you did not receive mercy. Now you receive mercy. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We just named three tribes of the young adults in this name. Chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation. God then revealed the gospel of grace to the Apostle Paul for all mankind. So today, everyone, a Jew or a Gentile who believes in Jesus, they become a part of the church. They're taken out from the category called Jews, they're taken out from the category called Gentiles and placed into the category called the church. Three categories of people on this earth. 
This is very clearly understood by the council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, verse 13 to 18, they say the Lord would take, first take from among the Gentiles a people, the church, for Himself. And after that, sequentially, time-wise, God will return to rebuild David's fallen tabernacle. Israel will be saved because God has promised them. Again, big picture, man's salvation, always due to the mercy and the grace of God throughout history for the last 6,000 over years. And the principle of man's salvation is whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, this is a common question. What happened to this people's group, this tribal group in Papua New Guinea, in Borneo, who have not heard the gospel as we understand it today? All right? So they will be judged at the great white throne according to their understanding and what they do about the revelation of God. So what God was going to judge them through creation. Look at the whole of creation. There is a creator. If they reject the creation as having a creator, then God is going to judge them by their conscience. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 3. This is all in Romans 1, 2, and 3. God has placed eternity in man. In every human being, there's a sense about right and wrong, a sense of morality, the conscience. Then God has sent His messengers. Throughout history, He sent His prophets. And in the end times, He sent the church. And then the revelation of Jesus Christ. And today, you look at the Middle East, in the last 10, 15, 20 years, God has revealed Himself in dreams to many from Yemen to Iran to Iraq to different parts of the Middle East and even in Africa. And all they need to do is to repent, to recognize their sins and to turn to God for salvation and to have right standing with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So man's salvation, anybody can be saved. God's salvation plan is available for everybody. At the great white throne judgment, no living accountable adult is with any excuse. Because God is going to reveal to them throughout their lifespan, whether they live for 35 years or 89 years. Throughout their life, there will be a revelation of God that is so clear to them in all those moments. What was the specific problem with Israel that led them to their spiritual blindness? Their trust in themselves, their pride. Romans 10, 3 and 4, Paul said, they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, they seek to establish their own righteousness. During the time of Jesus' ministry on earth, they boast, we know Abraham. Abraham is our father. We have the Ten Commandments. We have the 600 over laws to obey. We have obeyed every law. Remember the rich young ruler? He says, Lord, I've obeyed all the laws. They failed to submit to the righteousness of God when God sent Jesus to be the perfect Lamb of God. They rejected Him as the Messiah. They rejected Him as the perfect Lamb of God. Which is why they are still stuck in the Old Covenant. Romans 10, 4, Paul says, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Philippians, prob probably the second last book that Paul wrote. The last book that he wrote was 2 Timothy, second epistle of Timothy. And if there's any Pharisee that's such a Pharisee, it was the Apostle Paul. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he described in the beginning of Philippians chapter 3. And here in verse 9, he says, I want to be found in Jesus, not having my own righteousness which is from the law. You see, every Jew boasts of their own righteousness. That they somehow can win the favour of God, attain the favour of God, the salvation through their own righteousness. Paul says, I don't want to find my own righteousness, but the righteousness which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. 
This is the gospel. These are truths that we are very familiar with. <clears throat> Galatians 3 and James 2.10 tells us where the Jews, Israel, has fallen. Because God says that even you have you can obey 99.9% of the law, if you fail in 0.1% of the law, you, have, you would have disobeyed the entire law. Described in Galatians 3, he says that, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. And in James chapter 2, verse 10, Galatians is written by Paul. James all right, uh, wrote, Whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point is guilty of all. You know what? None of us can attain. There is none righteous, no, not one. That was what Paul had been saying. We all need to come by faith and believe in Jesus as our Saviour. So, that is the mystery number one. God's dealings with Israel suspended, which leads to mystery number two, the insertion of the church, a new people's group where every Jew, every Gentile, any mankind, when you are saved and have Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you'll be grafted into the church. Ephesians 2, Paul went on to call this a mystery. Ephesians 2, 14, he says that Jesus himself is our peace. He made both Jew and Gentile one to create in himself, in Christ, one new man from the two, Jew and Gentile. Verse 16, that he might reconcile them both, Jew and Gentile, in one body through the cross. And through Jesus, both Jew and Gentile in the church have access by the Holy Spirit to the Father God. This is a mystery. The Pharisees, the Jewish elders, the Sadducees, they cannot grasp this. But to us, this is so obvious because we've been taught the church has been around for the last 2,000 years. This is a mystery. In Ephesians 3, verse 2 and 6, For indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. Verse 3, By revelation He made known to me the mystery, my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which is now revealed by the Holy Spirit to the apostles and the prophets. Who are the apostles and prophets of the early church? Of the apostle Peter, of, of, of James, the chief elder of the church of the Council of Jerusalem, and all the other apostles and prophets in Barnabas, you read in Acts 13 and so forth. And what is it? Verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body of Christ, partakers of the same promise in Christ through the gospel. Today we know this as the gospel of grace for all that is during the church age. Ephesians 3, verse 8 and 9. <clears throat> Uh, Paul says, I, Paul, should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ to make all who see what is the fellowship of the mystery. To others, it's a mystery, but for us, this has been fully revealed. We understand this so clearly. Acts 20, 24, Paul calls this the gospel of the grace of God. No longer by faith plus works of faith. We simply have to believe in our hearts. So what is the essence of this? The gospel of grace is revealed and entrusted to the Apostle Paul. Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11, I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to men. It was a fresh revelation. Verse 12, it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
And I submit to you probably at, in Acts chapter 9, on his way to Damascus, he was struck by the bright light. And 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where he was taken up to the third heavens, where he received many revelations. Verse 16, to reveal his son in me, that I may preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. See, God has to take the Apostle Paul from out of the 12, all right? Peter and James and John, they were fishermen. It requires God to take someone like Paul who sat under the feet of Gamaliel, a lawyer, a thinker. God has gifted him with that intellect, with the brains and with whatever anointing to understand the revelation. And what did Paul do? He did not confer with flesh, but he did not immediately go to the apostles. Verse 18, after three years, he spent three years probably reflecting on this because he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He has to unlearn, to relearn. He understood the law. Very well. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. And he spent 15 days with Peter. Which is why Peter wrote towards the end of the uh, 2 Peter, which which we learned last week. He says, Paul's feet of many things that is hard to understand. All right? He had to unwind, to to unlearn, to relearn. And um, Galatians chapter 2. After the three years, and after the 15 days with Peter, Paul spent another 14 years. Verse 1, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and I took Titus with me. Verse 2, And I went up by revelation. You see, by now, after Pentecost, he's very familiar with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the instructor, teacher, and guide. The Holy Spirit is his coach, is his tutor. So he's here to us. Every day we must learn to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is our parakletos, our counsellor, our alongsider to teach us the will of God, the Word of God, and how to navigate through life. Paul said, I went up by revelation and communicated to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation. Who are those of reputation? All the big guns. Peter, James, Barnabas, all right, Agabus, and all the prophets and so forth. Lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. So Paul was made the apostle to the Gentiles, which we know well. He called the gospel of grace my gospel, as distinguished from the earlier gospel preached only to Israel, the gospel of the kingdom of heaven on earth. Ephesians 3 7, he said, Of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, very specifically. The gospel of the grace of God is spelled out in the bodily death and resurrection of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1 to 4. It says in verse 1, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, all centering on Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The bodily death, Jesus was crucified, He died, He was buried, He rose again. This is the gospel. He is our Saviour. There is salvation in no other name. The gospel of the grace of God is for everyone who believes. We are familiar with John 3.16. How can a person be saved? You are familiar with Romans 10, 9 and 10. We believe in our hearts and we confess Jesus as Lord and Saviour. We sincerely do that. We are born again. Our names are written in the book of life. We will be included in the universal body of Christ. When the church is raptured, we will be raptured. Every born again believer will be raptured, regardless of your views. The gospel of grace is completely dependent on the grace and mercy of God. 
Why did Paul emphasize in Ephesians 2 and 9? We are so familiar with this verse. He says, by grace. He says three times, by grace you are saved through faith. It is the grace of God. Faith. Faith is to believe God in your hearts and to act upon your faith. No works. Secondly, not of yourself. Don't think because you are sons of Abraham or Isaac and Jacob, because you have the covenants, you've got a temple, you've got the promises. No. Nothing of ourselves. It is the gift of God. And thirdly, he says, not of works. Not of works of repentance. Which was what John the Baptist preached. Lest anyone should boast. Why did Paul have to emphasize this? Because this is the gospel of grace. Now, why do you want to go through all this? Because the many teachings that we have been so familiar with, one of the hazards is that we take them all for granted. That as we understand this, there is such a long road now for the Jews to come to know because of their spiritual blindness. Don't ever take this for granted. That we should be so grateful for our salvation. And that we should be passionate to do evangelism, to reach out to our loved ones. Every weekend we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Every time and every moment, every time we enter His gates with thanksgiving and His cause we pray is to be grateful. The gospel of the grace of God is premised in the finished blood atonement of Christ that imputes God's righteousness to sinners who believe and receive Him. This is what our church always calls the divine exchange. We're familiar with the divine exchange. For He, the first He is God the Father, made Him, the Lord Jesus, here is man who is a sinner deserving of death. Here is Jesus who is fully righteous and is full of life. The divine exchange took place. Jesus died on man's behalf so that his righteousness, his life can be imputed upon man so that man no longer need die but have everlasting life. Very simple message of the cross. All man needs to do is admit that we are sinners, humble ourselves before the living God and to receive Jesus Jesus as our Saviour, as our Lord. Then our sins are washed away. Then we are forgiven. We are cleansed. Our sins are atoned and covered for. The devil has got nothing more in us. And one of the reasons, one of the things, one of the grace we pray, when I partake of the, 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 the cup, the devil has got nothing in me. This is what Jesus declared in John 14, verse 30. He got nothing in me. He got nothing in you when our lives are under the blood. But this is the truth that we need to know and live on. Israel and the church, therefore, as we understand, are two separate covenant people. And God will fulfill His covenant. God will fulfill His specific promises to Israel, particularly the land and the reign and rule of Christ on the earth. But they're going to go through a hard time. Israel will go through the tribulation. This is the mystery that is talked about in Romans 9, 10, and 11. And then the second mystery is what we are very familiar with, the church. How the Jews and the Gentiles, anybody on earth now, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, when we believe in Jesus, we are the new category of people. We are a peculiar people, Peter says. A chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And the end of the church, after these 2,000 years, which we are very, very, very close to, will be the rapture. That will be the end of the church age. And there is not going to be another category of people called the church. There won't be another category of people called the church after the rapture. The people who will be saved after the rapture, there are several categories of them. They are called tribulation saints. They are called by the Apostle John, my fellow brethren. 
They're called by the Apostle John, my fellow servants. Three categories of people in the book of Revelations. We're living in very exciting times. What have we covered today? Two mysteries, which has already been revealed to us, which is so plain and so simple, but something we should not take for granted. What is the bottom line? <clears throat> to be the tree nine. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. When I read this first line, even before going to the rest of the verse, this is an encourage for us to always find the grace that we need. How do we find the grace of God for our needs, whether it's for protection, for provision, for peace, for wisdom, for relationships, for downloads, for insights, whatever? Find a promise of God. And here, Paul, Peter is declaring the Lord is not slack. He's not slacky. Suka, suka here, suka, suka. No, the Lord is not slack. The Lord is always faithful concerning His promise. Many a times you can be disappointed with many things in life. And one of the ways is guard our hearts as we learn in the month of May in Hebrews, the warnings in Hebrews. Don't let our hearts be hardened. And our hearts can be hardened from the moment we are disappointed with God. The moment we are discouraged when our prayers are not answered. Then what do we need to do like David did when the Amalekites stole everything that he had? Recall the promises of God. Recall the faithfulness of God. Don't let the one incident, the one disappointment derail us. Recall over the last how many years you have lived, 35 years, 40 years, 60 years, 67 years, 72 years, the faithfulness of God. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise as some count slackness. He is patient. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What is repentance? It's the Greek word metanoia. It is more than just changing our mind. I want to submit to you this definition. Metanoia, repentance, is a change in our belief system affecting our responses and our decisions. And that must result in life transformation to the glory of God. This is repentance. The mysteries that we talk about, very simple, very basic. But it's mystery to those who are spiritually blind. It's mystery to those that have, don't have revelation from the Holy Spirit. It's mystery to those who are not plugged in the body life of the church. But for all of you, all of you watching online and listening to this sermon, this is very basic doctrines. But what we need to do is continually, continually allow ourselves, allow God to touch us in our minds, in our hearts, in our belief system, to stand upon the promises of God. And as we do so, affecting our belief system is our responses to situations, our responses to God, our responses to people, and then the decisions that will follow. And as we continue to do that in this journey, there will be life transformation. Our response to the pre-believing family members, our pre-believing friends. You may have a father, a grandmother who have yet to know the Lord. You spent many years. I spent 44 years for my father's own salvation. Today, he's 97. He's come to know the Lord for the last 10 years. Every time I see him, he keeps on asking, is church open? Is church open? He wants to come back to church. But well, you can't come back to church, 97 years old. Very tough. Today, he's talking about coming to church. But 20, 30 years prior to that, he will wave his umbrella, he will fight tooth and nail about the church. His life is changed. His one glorious testimony and so must ours. And so must ours.